to Online for Authors, where I, Terry M. Brown, author of character-driven fiction and host of the podcast, introduce readers to characters they'd love to invite to lunch by interviewing authors, discussing their books, learning about the writing process, and even, on occasion, chatting live with a panel of authors to discuss topics relevant to both readers and writers. My guest today on Online for Authors is Karen C. Whalen, author of two cozy mystery series. But today, I've invited Karen to help me discuss the difference between plotters and pantsters, tips for determining which one you are, and some valuable resources you might find useful. Welcome to Online for Authors. Today, I have author Karen C. Whalen. She is the author of Cozy Mysteries. She has the Tow Truck Murder series and the Dinner Club series, right? That's right. Yeah. And today, what we're talking about today is plotters versus pansters. And I am obviously a pantser. If you've listened to anything that I've ever said, I'm the one that like I get an idea walking on the beach and I come home and I just start writing things that are coming out of my head. And Karen and I often meet for breakfast, sometimes lunch, coffee, whatever. And she is a plotter. And I've always kind of been amazed by the difference between the two. But we have come to some pretty cool conclusions as we discuss things. So I just wanted to do that today. So welcome, Karen. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. So I am definitely a a pantser. I I don't know the idea of being. I feel like it's always been kind of constricting to have all of these rules. And the first time I ever heard you were talking, you were talking about how you created this this plot outline that had all of these beats and that you knew about how far you needed to be in each scene before you had to change things up. And, and like my eyes glazed over. Because <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh. Um, but you convinced me to read um the save the cat writes a novel mm-hmm. and it took me a while I didn't read it right away she <laughs> she made this suggestion and it was months before I read it but I did read it and I have found it to be not necessarily like the guide but something that is kind of helping me keep me in a lane while I'm still doing my my pantser thing so you need to explain what a pantser is. Oh, okay. So for those who don't know, pantsers, we fly by the seat of our pants. We don't have we don't have a plot outline. We don't we don't start with any, you know, like for me, sometimes I start and I just have a character and a character and a place. And that's that's really all that I have. And sometimes I have an ending. Like I know how this story has to end. Sunflowers Beneath the Snow. I knew because someone had told me this story and I knew that should be the end of like a movie or a novel. And so then I had to create all this back stuff to get there, but I had no idea how I was going to do it. Um, And then in An Enemy Like Me, I had an idea. My grandfather said something to me um, that made me think, oh, and that became a novel but I didn't have any idea where it was going to go I just had this idea and then I just sit and start to write 
And I think when I say that to Karen, Karen has the same feeling that I have when she says, and then I sit down and write down all of these beats. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) right? Right. I can't imagine just sitting down and writing. uh, That shows a lot of talent, actually, Terry. But because I definitely have to have my plot points in a row. Yeah, see, like with with Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, I wrote 50,000 words with no plot, no idea where it was going. I did it in two weeks. I just sat down and wrote it. And but I believe that you have that plot structure in the back of your mind. Right. And, that, and, that's, and that's what you say. And maybe that's true. Maybe I do kind of know. And I also, I also really believe strongly in the editing process. And that's one of the things that you and I have made this kind of conclusion about is that one way or the other, the plot has to be there. Mm -hmm. And so you can do it my way, which is this, you know, free for all. Terry's just writing and writing and writing. And then I have this editing process, which is huge because I have to go back in and and there's things that are missing and and pieces that, that don't make sense and all of this stuff that I have to fill in. Or you can do it Karen's way, which you fill all that stuff in in the beginning. And then when you go back for the editing, there's not as much to do because you kind of did it on the front end. But either way, it's got to be done or you don't have a book that's really worth reading. That's true. Right. And, it, you know, a lot of people have studied how books work, how movies work, and they've come up with plot points that are successful for storytelling that people expect when they hear a story. And it's not like I plot out every scene. So usually there's 15 beats and those are made up of 40 scenes. So I will plot the 40 scenes and then everything in between is by the seat of my pants. So Right, right. So I think, like I said, I find that really interesting. The first time that she said to me, there are 15 beats and 40 scenes, I thought, oh my gosh, I could never write that way. I would feel, I would feel like somebody had a whip over me and they were forcing me to do things. But the more we talked, I thought, I wonder if I went back and analyzed like Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, my first book, would it follow the plot line at all? Would it follow your beats in your scenes? And I haven't done it. I probably should go back and, and, and do that and just see like, what is it missing? You know, or is it missing? Or what structure am I using naturally? Mm-hmm. Because right now I am writing a book that's totally different. So I've been doing historical fiction, third person, multiple points of view, and I'm currently doing a contemporary humor, first person point of view, and in present tense. And because the structure is so different, I'm flailing a little. Like I'm not, I'm not feeling as confident in my just get out there and write it style. And so I have been using Save the Cat to kind of, kind of keep me within the road. You know, like I can wander all over the road, but I need to stay on the road. (laughs) You should probably give the author to Save the Cat. And it's Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Writes a Novel. By Jessica Brody. And it's based on the books by Blake Schneider, who was the original Save the Cat. And he did it for film. He did it for movies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that has... 
that's kind of nice. It, it gives you this, this structure, gives you an idea by, by kind of word count, because it's a percentage. They do a percentage as to how, how much of the book before you now change to that next portion. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm writing along and writing along and writing along and I look and I think, wow, I should have changed like a while ago. So have I written too much? Does this need to go somewhere else? Is there a way to add that? You know, and so it does make me kind of think because one of the problems that I have, my editor always comes back and says, and I have to go back and fix is you wander too long before I know why I care about this book. She said, you always have a good opening scene and you've hooked me. So I keep reading, but I wonder why I'm doing it. And I need to know why. And I think this having this structure makes you realize that you need the why up sooner so that people know why they're investing themselves in the book. I've got the hook. I just don't give them the why fast enough. So, And I write murder mysteries. So the body drop has to occur by a certain part of the book. Or nobody cares to read it anymore. Right. In fact, if if by basing it on what your books are, the body drops usually in chapter one or two, doesn't it? Like right. really quickly. Right. And that's also called the inciting incident. Okay. And I think it has to happen. Inciting incident usually has to happen at least by the 20% mark. And really, I put it in way sooner than that. I was going to say, your Based on the ones that I've read of yours, you seem to be more of a, and here's the drop, you know, here it is. And that's kind of what catches your reader to want to keep, to keep going. Oh my gosh, they found the body in the trunk. Oh my gosh, they found the body in the, you know, in the Christmas tree lot. And and they know, and then they have to, now they have to keep reading because now they want to find out how, who, Mm -hmm. why. And the why to keep reading is in usually in a murder mystery, especially a cozy where the amateur sleuth solves the crime. The reader wants to know why the amateur sleuth would bother trying to solve the crime when the police are also trying to solve it. Not just hand it over to the police. Right. So and that's one of the beats. Okay. And it's it's called the debate. She has to debate he or she. My protagonist is a she has to debate why she's going to solve this crime. And it has, there has to be a reason. Okay. Where the reader won't want to follow why, you know, along with her investigation. And then after the debate, she steps into act two, where she steps through that door and now starts to investigate. And really it's, it makes sense. It's just, it's not that you follow this structure so much as the structure follows the story. Right. Right. So you don't use just save the cat, though. Right. You kind of have you've created your own combination of many sources. What are some of the other things that you use to kind of help provide the structure? Well, um, James Scott Bell is, you know, he's a master and I he has a lot of books out on the craft and I use his plot and structure book. Let me get it in front of the camera. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, And I'll have this down in the show notes. Okay. And also, I I stumbled across um, K.M. Wheeland, and she has a lot of free sources on the internet. She has a wonderful, wonderful blog. 
<clears throat> and her blog is called Helping Writers Become Authors, and I know you'll also include it. And she has all kinds of free resources, like like a, a this chart that helps you know uh, when to put the beats in the story. And her beats are, I think she's got like seven. Mm -hmm. A little different from Save the Cat. Right. right. Um, every conference I've been to, every class I've taken on plotting, uh, it all kind of goes in to your head and you utilize everything that you learn. So you, you, every writer has to come up with his or her own way to write. Right. So the fact that, that you do the body drop really early mm -hmm. doesn't mean that every cozy has to. Right. You do it early, but it has to be in the first 20%. It doesn't have to be in the first chapter. And right. so it, it everybody gets to. So it almost sounds to me like you do follow a plot, but you get to you get to be a pantser. You get to find what works for you. Right. And you're a lot of times you're pantsing while you're plotting. Like all my plot points, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, and you're you're creating that. Right, right. It's not like it's written out for you and you say, okay, so now I have to, this is where so-and-so, you're creating it. So once again, you're doing a lot of the pantsing right in the beginning so that when you sit down to write, you have this, this outline. Whereas I do it the other way where I, I write and write and write and then I have to force my writing in into where it needs to go. So I might take a whole chapter and move it somewhere else and take pieces of this chapter and shove it over here because I need things to be in a different. And and I never considered that what I was doing was plotting backwards. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I think that's what I'm doing is is I have a story and so I tell it and then I go back and say okay now how do I make this story good enough that people will want to read it oh and everybody that's... wants to read your books terry <laughs> more than good enough okay thank you thank you but you know what i'm so that i it's a very different it's a different idea the other thing i think i really want people to understand is there is not a right way mm -hmm. to write a book mm -hmm. there is your way right. and as long as in the end when all is said and done, you are happy with your process and your book represents what you wanted, mm -hmm. then you've done it. Like there, so, so it isn't, I think for a long time, I felt really guilty that I was a pantser. Like I was doing it wrong. I'm also not a person that writes every day. I believe Karen, you write every day. I do try to, yes. Yeah. So Karen and I, it's funny that we can sit down and have these great conversations together because really when it comes to writing, we are polar opposites. You know, I'm a pantser and I call myself a binge pantser. So I might not write for days and days and days. And then I might write for four or five days in a row all day long, forget dinner, forget showering, forget anybody. And then I don't write again for weeks. And then Karen, she plots and she writes every day. And it's like, it's, it's crazy how different we are. But in the end, we both have stories that we like. Right. And, and that we're happy with. And so I think that's kind of the point is it doesn't really matter where you are on that spectrum. There are people in the middle. I think they, they're, what do they call themselves? Some of them, some people call them plansters. 
other people call them like quilters or something. I can't remember. Like they're taking the patchwork from both. Okay. Um, and and I think that actually it's more like a like a spectrum, and we all fall somewhere along the line. There are some people who do very detailed outlines, right? Very detailed, almost chapters, like okay. like very detailed. And then there are other people like me who say, "Oh, I have a character. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start writing." Mm -hmm. um, I think that maybe I do some of my plotting during my non-writing time. Mm -hmm. Because you're thinking about it. I'm not writing, but I'm thinking and I'm contemplating and different story ideas will run through my head and I'll let them run. And then they kind of end in a place and I think, well, that didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I forget that one. And then another one comes to mind and then finally something will come to mind and it's like, Ooh, that has promise. Mm -hmm. And then I sit down and write. So I'm writing without writing. I talked with, last month, I talked with Emily Winslow, and she wrote a book called Time to Write. And one of her sections that I loved was that daydreaming is allowed. <laughs> you know, and I liked that idea because I felt like, well, maybe I do write every day. I just don't mm -hmm. do it at the computer or at right. a typewriter or with a pen and paper, but I'm, I'm creating and I'm, I'm contemplating and I'm making scenes and whatever. So, you know, maybe I do write every day just differently. <laughs> well, you know, I have to take a, a pencil and a piece of paper with me wherever I go, because if I have those kind of thoughts and don't write them down, they're lost. Right. Right. So I don't, I don't tend to have paper with me, but I have my phone and I'll go, I have a note taking place and I just go to the audio and I'll mm -hmm. say out loud whatever's in my mind and I'll get it down. And of course, I hate the talk to text because when I get home, then I have to decipher it because it did not get it right, <laughs> but it's close enough. And it reminds me what I had been thinking. And right. so I'll do that. I'll be walking on the beach and something will hit me and I'll start talking. You'll hear waves in the background, <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay because I can then go home. Otherwise, like you said, you get home and it's like, Oh, I had that great idea. It's like waking up in the night and you had this great dream. And you think, ooh, I'll remember that. And the next morning, you don't. Right? No recollection, right? I wonder right. if that's one of the elements of being a pantster and a plotter, because let me show you my, my plotting board. Okay. So in some, this is, these are note cards. Okay. Um, let's do this. Act one, act two. Yeah, okay. And I have to put pen to paper. Do you? you know, okay. So I, I like to write them out on note cards. I'm definitely, I'm a write, writing it down. Writing it down. Yeah. And I am such, I type everything. And the, I think the reason is my handwriting, first of all, is not great. And I'm thinking fast. Mm -hmm. And if I write as fast as I think, my handwriting becomes not only not great, but illegible. Yeah. And th that happens to me too. I'm mostly mostly composing on the keyboard. Right. But there's something about the creative process for me to to also write things. Write it down. down. Yeah. So I do a, I, 
I think I do a little of both. I usually have like, you know, type, 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 but I have a, a notebook next to me. And mm -hmm. if I get an idea of something that maybe needs to happen earlier in the scene or whatever, I jot, I'm jotting it to yeah. the right. So I kind of have both going that, like I said, that the problem is, is the number of times I've jotted and then looked at it later and thought, okay, now I have to figure out what this is because my writing, I did not realize, I remember as a kid being told that my writing was atrocious, <laughs> but I always just, you know, that's what teachers said. It is, it is atrocious. I have horrible handwriting. And if I try to, I, I write, I print faster than I write. And if I try to write, I end up with extra loops, lack of loops. There's just, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, it's, it's bad. It's bad. So do you do any like notebooking or anything like, like, do you keep a journal or a notebook and then use any of that in your writing? No, not, not specifically. I will come up with an idea for another book in the series, maybe later down the road. And so I'll, I'll type that up and stick it in the, you know, in a folder on my computer. Right. right. I found that, you know, as much as I do love to write and I, I do love my note cards and my notes, when I'm done with that book, I throw those away because I've ended up with stacks of notebooks that I never looked at again. Right. And when I go to writing conferences, I used to want to write everything in a notebook. Well, it things just, I never looked at them again. But if I take notes on my computer and put them in a folder and say plotting class or whatever, I will actually look at them again. So notebooks, no. Just don't do it for you. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I do, so when I go take classes, I do take notes handwritten. And partly I do that because I've learned that if I do it, I remember it. If I type yes. it, I don't. I don't know why there's a, there's something. Then I get home. And as soon as I get home, like within a couple of days when it's still fresh and I'm going to be able to interpret my scratch, I type it up yeah. and put it into my computer so that right. I have it for later. Because my problem with handwriting, like I said, so I have this great notebook full of the things that I took in the class. It's now six months later. I have no idea what I wrote. Yeah, and I can't, I can't read it anymore. And I can't remember enough about the class to pull up what that was supposed to say. So I kind of do it. I do what you do, but I just yeah. condense it real fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. What would you say to a new writer, someone who's like, they're just starting out. How did they find their process? Oh, I, I would say the number one thing to do is read as many books as you can. I agree. On the craft. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and there's so many good books out there. Yeah. I don't so, think you can really go wrong. Mm -mm. I think the only way you can go wrong is if you pick one book, read one book, and assume it is the only, the one and only way agree. to write. I agree. You know. And sometimes I, I bought books, got them home started reading them and realized I, this plotting isn't uh, going to work for me. It's going to work for me. Right. But and when you're, when you're first, when you're first starting, you may not know that. Yeah. So I think another thing that I would recommend is go ahead and try it. Like, like if you've, if you've read this book, give it a try. It may or may not work for you. If it isn't working, 
it's okay to say this this particular method isn't good for however it is. And it may take you a while to find the one that really does work for you. Right. And yeah. I, I think, though, that you probably can rely on your intuition. If I'm getting into a plotting book and I realize this is way too academic, it's not practical, or there's something else. I'm not going to feel guilty for putting it down and not trying it too. So, right. I think that's true. I think that's true. I know that when I was first starting, I think that I was just very afraid. You know, I was, I was concerned that I didn't do it right. And so the books actually scared me a little. Like, I think you can get caught up in reading too much is the other, is the other side of that. Definitely read and learn and, and whatever, don't keep that from, don't Starting. use that as an excuse to, to not write. Right. Like okay. while you're reading, you should also be writing. You should be starting to learn your style and figuring out like where your strengths are and whatnot. And you can always take what you've learned and now add that to what you're writing. Right. Right. And when I, whenever I read a plotting book, I'm automatically thinking of plot books in my next novel. So it's like I'm writing as I'm reading that. I'm okay. jotting notes. Oh, this would be a great plot point that kind of would fit in with this plot structure. And so, I mean, you need to, it's not just an exercise in academia. Right, right. Definitely we're looking for for the books that give you real life. You know, if you can't take it and use it in the manuscript you're writing, it's probably not the book for you. Right. Right. If you're not feeling how to apply that right away, you know. Yeah, then then move on to something else. And I have a stack of books like that. (laughs) (laughs) So do I, because people had recommended things to me and I would start reading it and think, I don't I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with this. It felt very I don't know, it felt very much like going to a doctorate level class but didn't have any real practical use, at least for me. Now, I'm not saying that it was a bad book. For someone else, they may be able to take that and and it suits how they interpret life and think and, and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that I really recommend is to just read. Right. Not, not craft, but read. Mm-hmm. Because good books have good structure. Right. The more you read good books, the more you understand, even if it's on a a level that you couldn't write it down, you understand what makes a good book. Right. You know, how many times have you picked up a book, started reading, it didn't hook you and you put it down? So what have you just learned? Well, right. you learned that what not to do exactly and that's okay too you know what i'm saying so you've learned wow if if something doesn't hook you pretty quickly so then you know i'm reading my my manuscript that Mm -hmm. isn't going to hook anyone Mm -hmm. what do i need to do what scene do i need to put here that is going to pull them in right away right going to jerk them by the collar and just drag them right into the book that's (laughs) you know and that's what you want right right and so the more you read the better. Something that I've discovered, I'm mostly historical fiction. 
uh, I tell everyone really what I am is character-driven fiction, but historical fiction are the three that are out right now. And I kind of got in a read-only historical fiction mode. That's what I was reading. And I was enjoying them. It isn't that. Recently, because of this podcast, I have started reading a lot of genres. I recommend it highly. I know that we all have a genre we love. I mean, I think most people could tell you the two or three genres they feel the most comfortable in. Mm -hmm. As a writer, I really think reach outside of that little circle, even if it's just on occasion, Mm -hmm. and see what's happening out there. Because you might learn something reading an author that goes about writing books differently than you're used to reading. You know, we all get, so you you find these authors that you love. And then because you love these authors, people tell you, oh, well, then you'll love this author. And you start reading books that feel very much the same. Mm-hmm. Does that, you know, they're different. They have different stories. They're excellent books. I don't mean that, but they, they feel very comfortable. And I think it's, I think it's good to like jump outside that. You know, a different tone is good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a different tone. It's a different, even that, like the structure might be a little different. Like this, this author, instead of doing it this, this, you know, way you're used to, this normal way, they, they threw something in at the beginning and it's, oh, wow, that's a different way to, to do this story. Or you see someone maybe who does more flashbacks than you're used to, or maybe they do, maybe it's, it's told from a contemporary viewpoint and, and, you see the history in a different way, or maybe like, I like that idea of just going outside of, even if you can't make yourself go outside your genre to go outside your, your normal authors, Mm -hmm. you know, like really pick somebody who's very different and just see like, what is, even if you don't enjoy the book, find out why, Mm -hmm. what are they doing that you don't enjoy so that you can avoid doing that in your own book? I mean, you know, (laughs) And, you know, and that's one of the difficulties of being a writer, because everything you read, you're really analyzing it. You are. (laughs) And even, you know, movies. Yes. Yeah. You start analyzing, you think, well, what, what was the purpose of that scene? They put that scene in there for a reason. What was the purpose of it? And, you know. So that's funny. I was watching with uh, my husband last night, he loves the Avatar movies. And so we were watching that second Avatar movie. And the number of times that I thought, ah, that was the false, um, what do they call it? You know what I mean? The um, red hearing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it was like, you know, you think it's over and it's not. It's in, not. In, in Avatar, they have a couple of them where you really think we're coming to the conclusion and oh, we're not. And then we're coming to the conclusion. Oh, we're not. (laughs) And it was like, you know, and now, and I think, Oh yeah, those are, that's where you put those in the book. And that's how you keep people like glued to their chair and Uh continuing to watch. So yeah, you're right. It's hard to watch. It's hard to be part of a story and just let the story take you over. Mm -hmm. In fact, if I am reading a book, and the story completely takes me over and I stop having analyzing thoughts, uh-huh. I realize I have met a an incredible storyteller. Right. Because it it stopped my analytical trying to figure out what it, were they doing and why mm-hmm. do I like it or why don't I like it or whatever. And I became totally in, entrenched 
in the story and the characters. I yes. love to be able to do that. Yes. I mean, I'm even at the point sometimes where in, I'm rewriting sentences in my head. <laughs> I I had a book the other day and I, I won't say which one, but the, the number of times where I thought, oh, I could fix this for them. Yeah. I could fix this. And it's like, it's not my place. It's not my place. Stop that, Terry. You're not an editor. No one asked, you know, but, mm -hmm. but the number of times, because I kept being pulled out of the story. Right. And that was happening because I felt like there was too much too. It, it felt too much like history and then story and then history and then story. And every time we got to the history, I felt like I was pulled out and stuck in a classroom mm -hmm. and in my mind, I'm fixing it, mm -hmm. right? Oh, if they had done this or, ooh, if they had shown it this way, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I got to stop that. <laughs> yeah, the key is to bring those facts into the story in a natural, organic right. way. And it, yeah. And it's and it's not an easy process. No. You know, it's not easy. And, and whether you're doing historical fiction, you with mystery, it's the same thing. You have to bring in certain facts. How do you do it? where it's a natural feeling because you need to let them know something about this wrench or whatever it is, but you can't just do a sidebar in a little box and say, okay, here's the wrench. Pay attention to this. Yes. You need to, right? <laughs> um, everyone's probably seen the movie, the birds. Yes. Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh. In one scene, they oh. go into a diner and it just so happens that there's an expert on birds in the diner. Right. And she explains about birds, how many birds there are in the world and all of this. And it's just the perfect little place to get that fact in. So exactly. They, they brought this character in. That was the purpose of that scene and that purpose of that character. But it's pretty seamless. You don't realize it while you're watching the movie. And, and it isn't until later that you realize you have the facts that you need. Right. Right. I tried to do the same thing with Sunflowers Beneath the Snow. There's a lot of Ukrainian history. And I knew that my readership is going to be mostly Americans. Mm -hmm. And Americans know nothing about Ukrainian history, generally speaking. Um, so there was history that needed to be told. But history can be kind of dull if just fact, fact, fact. So how do you instill it? So I tried to have conversations between a husband and wife as they're not arguing, but kind of like debating over who they're going to vote for and why. Mm -hmm. Well, right. I wouldn't so-and-so because, you know, and it, and it gave you the, the information, but in a way that as you were reading it, you didn't feel like you were being, you know, side smacked with you know here's the history of ukraine from you know the beginning of the world to present you know? right. <laughs> so yeah it's it's interesting how you have to do that with cozy mystery very similar right where you're having to bring in specific facts that later when you know who the killer is you realize that you missed it right right you plant those clues right Right. And you have to do it in a way that it feels natural. It's and not like it's not like blue clues where you say, you know, oh, oh here's a clue. I see a paw print. Right. right. <laughs> so it has to be done in a natural way. Um, in your latest that just came out, the uh, friends come to call. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that I had a clue. 
and I kept waiting for it. And then I was wrong. And it was like, oh, I thought I had I wish I, I would have had you read it before it came out because I would have incorporated that into the story because you would told you? me you told me about that. Isn't it but isn't it funny how I think that's that's great. I am not really good at when I'm reading a mystery, I very rarely know who did it. I'm I'm always like, oh wow. And other people are like, oh no, I knew right from, you know, like page seven, I already knew. And it was like, how did you know at page seven? You know, I'm I think maybe I don't read a lot of mystery. I also tend to, as I read, I read a lot about character and I tend to gloss over anything that isn't real character. So if you've given me a clue and it was in a scene spot, I've read it, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scene, 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 (laughs) scenery, scenery, scenery. Oh, there we are characters. And so I think I miss some things that are pretty pertinent. So like when I'm reading a, a mystery, I have to remind myself to slow down, pay attention, which is why I really thought that I had that. It was like, ooh, ooh, this is going to come back. And it never did. And I thought, oh, I know I missed an opportunity. But, you know, if you it, you have to notice that the rifle is hanging over the fireplace or exactly whatever it is. Yeah. That, the, that, that, that one clue mm-hmm. that some people know and notice, some people yeah. really do notice. And I guess as a, as a cozy mystery, do you want people to notice? You do. Do you? Are you hoping that at the end that they've guessed? Well, you're hoping. This is what you hope. Okay. At the end, <clears throat> they say, oh. Yes. Okay. I remember that clue. I should have put it together. Okay. So that's what you're hoping is that's that you know. that it was subtle enough that most people don't catch it. But it was obvious enough that once it's brought out, they say, I should have figured that out myself. Right. Good. Right. Okay. Because well, good. Then, then I'm your perfect audience. Because <laughs> that's when the reader is satisfied with the story. Right. If it was too easy to guess, that's not that's satisfying. Not satisfactory. Um, but if if it's impossible to guess, that isn't either. No, because then you feel kind of cheated. Like, well, how was I ever supposed to figure that out? Right. You know, because at least for me, with with a story like yours, as I'm going along, I'm, I become the amateur sleuth. Mm-hmm. So I too am taking the clues that she finds and trying to figure out, well, what does that mean? And who's eliminated? Who am I eliminating in my own mind? You know? And so, yeah, I think I would feel cheated if there was no way for me to figure it out. If somebody that we've never even met just pops out at the end and they did it. Right. Yeah. You know? That's horrible. Yeah. Um, and I, it's kind of funny. I I wrote one of my uh, dinner club books without the end, and I sent it to one of my beta readers, and I said, "Who do you think committed the crime?" Because I I was curious as to, you know, I was still trying to figure out how to write a, a cozy mystery, right. probably. And she came back. She read it, and she came back with a different character that I didn't even have on my suspect list. And she told me why, because this, this, and this. And I was like, perfect. That's who my killer is. <laughs> How funny. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's bring it back now to plot. Just, just you know, the, the idea of structure and plot. Do you think that there are genres that are better for 
people who consider themselves plotters and genres who are that are better for people who consider themselves pantsers? Or do you think that it would work regardless of where you find yourself on that scale? Well, there are all kinds of different plot structures. Um, there's the hero's journey, there's right. different ones. And so I would say that there's probably a plot structure for most fiction. Nonfiction, yeah. I, that's a different- It's a different thing. animal, right. Um, yeah, but again, it's not a formula. And you you just follow a structure that's been tried and true over centuries of writing. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are pantsers that have no idea about the plotting and they manage to write a wonderful story. Um, but like you said, it's, it's probably because they have a plot structure in their head. In They've their read head. enough or they're natural storytellers and they understand the when you need something more. Well, you know, a novel does need a plot. Yeah. One of the elements. So uh, so I guess the answer is yes. Every every fiction story has a plot. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm just I'm just wondering, like, I can't imagine trying to write a cozy mystery without plotting it out. Right. Well like, I, I can't even I can't even imagine in my head me doing me with a cozy mystery. Mm -hmm me saying oh i have this character and we're just gonna do like what a what an abysmal mess this is turning into i mean my mind right now is just like turning into like spaghetti because the idea of trying to make sure that you throw in clues with all these potential suspects and then in the end come out with something that makes sense i can't imagine writing a cozy mystery without plotting right on and the other on the other hand, I write historical fiction without plotting all the time, but I know other people that do not. Right. That would never consider writing historical fiction and probably feel the same way. I'm wondering. So if there are any cozy mystery <laughs> authors out there who do not plot, let me know. I want to know. I want to oh, know like your process. There are. Are there? There are many. You know, oh. because inserting clues is not those aren't plot points. Okay, so you can just go back when you're editing and you could, you could. Yes, but in I, my mind, I, I don't know. It's like, maybe it's because you're the only cozy mystery writer that I've sat and talked at length with and you do it this way. And I just assume it's the way to do it. <laughs> well, when I'm writing a scene, I'm questioning, what is the purpose of this scene? What clue can I insert in this scene? Right. You know, right. but, but that's a little, that's more of a scene structure issue than a plotting issue. Cool. Was there anything else that you think that authors, potential writers out there would like to know about plotting and pantsing? Just figure out the way that works best for you. And don't worry about how you're writing or if you're writing the same way as everyone else, because everyone is doing it differently. Yeah. I yeah. think that's I think that's the biggest thing that that in the last two years that I've really come to understand is there isn't a right way and a wrong way. There are just many, many potential ways and you have to find the one that that works for you. Right. And and it's OK to continue to hone that like 
you've got your structure, but I'm sure if you read a book that gave you something else and you now knew there should be 47 beats instead of your 40, <laughs> that you would add that to it if it worked for you. Right. That's true. Right? You always are learning. Always are learning. Always so, learning. so there isn't one right way. Keep learning. Keep reading. That's right. what we're going to suggest. And don't give up. Keep Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for being with me, Karen. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Online for Authors, where I, Terry M. Brown, author of character-driven fiction and host of the podcast, introduce readers to characters they'd love to invite to lunch. Tune in next Tuesday for another podcast episode.